The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Thanks so much for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. I'm Carrie Charles, your host. And today I have with me the Vice President of Broadband Strategy for Vetro Fiber Map, Brian Mefford. Brian, thanks for joining me. I'm excited about this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Brian, tell me a little bit about how you got into the broadband space. Sure. It's kind of a convoluted story. I'll make it quick. I grew up in rural Kentucky, grew up farming in the summers, helping my grandfather farm and wanted to be a farmer my whole life until I realized that the wasn't going to pencil out quite the way I had planned. <laughs> so started looking other places in my family. My dad actually is was a big influence on my career path. He worked at Bell South for uh, most of his career, 30 some odd years. And back then it was, it was the company where you know, he literally started as a switchboard operator climb poles at one point, did basically every possible job you could do in 30 years at that company and ended up in a really interesting place where he was doing government affairs and public-private partnerships. And Bell South did a project with the University of Louisville that just kind of blew my mind as a preteen. And it was a partnership to help demonstrate how fiber optics could be used as an enabler for entrepreneurial growth. And so they had this accelerator that was ahead of its time. 30 years ago at this point and was obsessed with it. I'd go meet with the companies and learn about fiber and what this was all about and learn the new language of HTML when it first came out, things like that. So it just really set my mind on thinking that's fascinating that literally telecom can be used for entrepreneurship that then supports the growth of communities. Kind of put that on the shelf, went to school out West and my wife and I traveled and worked in different parts of the country. Got a call from my dad at one point early in my career and he said, hey, there's a job I think you might be interested in back in Kentucky. It's with a group that's using technology to support economic development in rural communities. Well, that sounds interesting and familiar. So I did that, came back with a project that was called Connect Kentucky and turned that into a a really a deep dive into broadband and infrastructure kind of driven project where we were focused on how can technology become an enabler for communities that are struggling. And we ended up doing that successfully and basically did that work in 120 counties in Kentucky. Tennessee called, Ohio called, California called, and we knew we had a business to grow So I started a company called Connected Nation, which uh, continues to do great work to this day. And at Connected Nation is where I first worked with the founder of Vetro, Will Mitchell. And we basically said, we're a lot alike. We have a lot of interesting thoughts that we could bring together. Let's plan on doing that someday. And and it just worked out. That happened. Wow. So tell me the story, Vetro Fiber Map. Yeah, it's an awesome company, really. It's a company that I can start gushing about. I've, I've been here for three years now. And, and and again, Will and I came together as we started seeing this, started seeing the country go down the path of leaning into public funding for infrastructure. And Will had and his co-founder had built a, an awesome product for fiber management. It's a fiber management system. And, and it was brand new in, in the way it approached how companies could use technology to plan, design, 
build, operate their networks. And so they grew up around that product of helping small and medium-sized ISPs basically transition to building fiber networks. And so just being an innovator at that early stage, I mean, this was people were rubbing pennies together to be able to buy software as they were trying to get into the fiber game. So we've expanded on that product base to build new products, one of which you know I focus on that supports state broadband offices as they roll out these grant programs. And it's a place for the state broadband office and subgrantees, as they're called by NTIA, ISPs, communities that are applying for grants. It's a platform. It's a place for all of them to come and congregate around the same set of data and to see visually on the map proposals that are being put forward, grants that are being made, the status of projects, managing all of that in one place is is the product that we built for for the moment. So you are in the center of the action right now with what's going on in broadband. It's exciting. Been in this space for going on 25 years. And a lot of us kind of got, honestly, who were in this space at that point, sort of got beat down over the years. I mean, not to play victim here, but I mean, (laughs) you can only go to so many meetings and say the same thing over and over and be a cheerleader for so long. And this is high impact stuff. We have to invest. And then what never happened for two decades was the investment didn't follow. It did from the private sector. I mean, I should be clear about that. The private sector has been investing in a big way in this. But when we're talking about investing in places where it's hard to pencil out a business case without significant subsidy, that was the piece that was missing for two decades. And many of us tried. We got some money. There was a previous stimulus that spent $7 billion roughly on infrastructure. And now we're looking at a combination of programs over the last handful of years where it's you know it's it's going to approach 150 billion all in all said so it's just that that realization this is right this is real the impact is important and significant and sort of life changing we have to make it happen for every citizen the fact that the investment has followed that those words that's the big difference so what public private partnerships will be needed to really move this initiative forward, this massive initiative? All of the above. It's every flavor of public-private partnership that's been conceived, in, in my opinion, over the last many years. And so the spectrum is private only. The capital is available. The risk, they can they can take on the risk themselves alone. Then going into sort of the public sector, let's say a state government or local government providing just a capital investment that basically de-risks or lowers the risk for that same company to, to go into that market and build and operate a network. And then you have more of a true kind of partnership where local government or the state government might actually pay for and be responsible for building the asset, the network, and then they partner with an operator and it's more of an equal kind of partnership. And then you have going on the other side of the equation, you know, balance starts tilting towards the public sector all the way over to just purely public networks. And what we're seeing is all of these things can work in the right situation and with the right ingredients. The other one thing that gets lost maybe in that explanation, which is hugely significant, goes back to your last question too, is the role of electric and telephone co-ops in this space. That was a thing that people sort of begged and pleaded for co-ops to get involved in broadband for a couple of decades. And it just makes sense. Like at that point, again, before the level of subsidies we're talking about now, 
it was hard for them to put broadband on one page and electric on the other and say, yeah, that's just as good. You know, that's going to make as much sense. It just didn't financially and risk wise. So now with some support there, you've got the happening with a lot of electric co-ops across the country. That may be the thing that we look back on as the biggest momentum maker or game changer, however you want to put it. I'm dialed in from my farm in Western Kentucky today, and I'm coming at you live on a gigabit connection. Of course, when I say that now, my connection will will die in, in <laughs> two minutes. But but truly, it's our electric co-op that said, yeah, we can take this on. And it's our members who are out here struggling. And they made that decision back during the early stages of the shutdown. And now they've built out basically to our entire uh, county, tens of thousands of people who didn't have service before. Wow. So you wanted to be a farmer when you were younger. So you are now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm a fake farmer is what I am. (laughs) We do just enough, you know, let our kids get their hands dirty and learn how to take care of animals and those types of things, grow gardens. And it's lovely. We, We love it and can't imagine being anywhere else. That's how I grew up. So uh, I agree with you 100%. So how will the grant funding change the behavior? Builders and operators, I mean, will they be required to do things differently? For sure. That's a great question. Starts with the answer that it depends, right? It depends on where the company is starting. But let's just take a company that was maybe a regional operator in the past and sort of incrementally building new network. And maybe they were building copper plant. So that's kind of a, maybe we'll use that scenario. Now, the federal government, multiple programs now, but particularly BEAD, which is sort of forward looking and what people are kind of modeling behavior around now, you know, there's a clear preference for for fiber. It's not the end all be all requirement, but I mean, I think the government's been clear that that's the preference. And now how that gets worked into FWA, fixed wireless and, and other solutions, I think is to be determined over these next 24 months. But anyway, they're building that plant incrementally for the last 20 years. All of a sudden, they need to figure out how do I build fiber? If not just to meet requirements, I mean, they just for the life cycle, their investment and business with subsidy available, it just, it may make, it's going to make sense to a lot of companies to do that. Well, so there's that technology shift that's happening. And so you've got uh, folks in the market who have been in the telecom business for years, but are learning a new element to the business. How do you plan fiber? You know, how do you create scenarios? You know, how do you build scenarios, investment scenarios? What's your customer messaging? How do you build out? What's the talent that's available to make that happen? And then how do you service and support, maintain, operate that network over time? So that there's learning that's happening there. Now, at the same time, they're looking at those subsidies, that support mechanism and realizing like anything in life, I mean, it comes with strings. And so it's not just me out here as an operator investing my capital that I've raised, deciding what risk I want to take on. I mean, there's a lot of sort of stipulations, requirements, prescriptions in some cases. And so I have to account for that. An example is just reporting. Well, let's say first there's applying for grants. I mean, getting the money is not an inexpensive endeavor. It takes teams to put these grant applications together to understand what the specific state requirements are. There may be local engagement requirements. It's fairly sophisticated undertaking. And then I get the money. Now I'm going to invest in fiber and build out to every point that I've committed to. And then there comes reporting. So that's a whole new element. Again, is not insignificant. Where in the past, I could just operate sort of as I choose. And there's, of course, regulated environment. There's There's been some level of reporting required, of course. But this is a whole new, this is a whole new level of reporting. So as an operator, 
as an ISP, if I win bead grant money, I'm going to have to report on the status of what I've committed to build at the address level. How far am I into the construction process? What have I built? What services am I offering on that network that I've expanded? Who's taking it? What are they taking? And I have to just continue that reporting cycle. I think really it's going to end up being about 10 years. And then Vetro's role in all of that is what? We have a product, that tandem product I mentioned, tandem set of products I mentioned earlier. First and foremost, our core business is in supporting ISPs. And so we've built this, what we call radically simple fiber management software that allows, and what we mean by radically simple, well, I mean, I shouldn't have, I don't want to explain what radically simple means, but (laughs) for us, what that means is anybody in an organization can use our software. We built it for the CEO of a company to be able to fly in and get a visual of the operation and what I mean by the operation. So our software helps for the planning, design, building, the construction, and ultimately the operation of the network. It also helps with customer acquisition. So this is a comprehensive piece of software. CEO can see what's happening on a daily basis. She can turn to operations director and dig in, drill into a status of a particular neighborhood, build. You can fly in and And that engineer might say, well, here that we built these homes and here's what's on tap for the next two days and then dig in further down to a strand level. And so you can see every strand of your fiber network, what the status of it is, who's using it, what are they using it for? And then basically go out and develop your market by selling that capacity and then managing it over time, being able to trace faults and manage downtime. We've built it to be an open API system too. So it ties together well with lots of other sort of niche products that have been built and adopted by fiber builders. So that's on the ISP side, on the government side, built this tool, that this product that allows them to manage the inflow of all this data, parse it, basically click buttons and say, where are my eligible points? They can organize those points if they want to be more prescriptive about the projects that they want to have proposals on, they can they can organize those points in different ways and publish those out for ISPs to come in and look at those areas, but also the underlying data, like what does the state expect it to cost to build out fiber? So it just, it creates this, I don't know, more collegial kind of dynamic It's versus, it's not us versus them as much as here's the information that we all agree that is that we have, this is what we want to build and propose back to us what that's going to look like, and then track that over time. Brian, Vetro has grown so fast. And I know it's challenging to you know even create and maintain a strong culture, company culture with such rapid growth. So tell me a little bit about what you've experienced in the past few years with growth, and then also a little bit more about that culture and maybe some challenges in, again, building it and maintaining it. I'm glad to. I mean, it's a fun place to work is the bottom line. A lot of those kinds of questions, like any good organization that the culture starts at the top and just can't brag enough on our CEO and founder, Will Mitchell, and the team that he put together at the leadership level. But like any good technology startup, this was bootstrapped early on and it was all hands on deck and engineers were supporting customers and answering phones. And so to be able to evolve from that and mature an organization, bring in talent at every level that's going to just keep elevating elevating the culture, elevating the expectations, elevating performance and output. That's the hardest thing to do. That's why a lot of startups, I think, stumble. So Will has set that tone. Each 
sort of new addition has sort of affirmed the values. He's been clear about expectations around culture and, you know, how we treat people, you know, how we pursue excellence and our interactions with our customers and our partners. And so you set that expectation as he has, and it's, it ripples out throughout the, the whole company. So that's what we've seen. It's exciting to be involved with a company that's just on the cutting edge, right? I mean, here at Broadstaff, we talk to thousands and thousands of candidates and they're very, very interested in exciting spaces and startups or even more than startups, you know, companies that are past that phase, but they're getting ready to even explode even further, which Vetro is. And it's a really fun bus to jump on, really. So, I mean, would you agree? <laughs> Absolutely. And you're right about the staging. It's sort of easy. We, we've seen enough examples, especially in the telecom space of that tipping point where it's a company that's just on this side. Okay. Now, they've tipped, they're ready to ride that rocket ship. And fortunately, I I should back up to an ad that across the board, we've been fortunate. Like our investors have been phenomenal. And I've been in places where you can get a mixed bag and that's easy as you're, again, trying to bootstrap your growth. I mean, it's easy to take on all money. And so Will has been good about making sure we have strategic investors who care about the long-term growth of the company. And actually it can sound sappy because it doesn't happen that often, but they care about the people in the company. And so they have a long view of, of where we're headed. That takes some pressure off of the near term and it allows us to kind of flex and make sure we're thinking through strategic decisions that we need. So that's a huge help too. Yeah, it's... It's fun. And people, you can't fake fun, right? Right. (laughs) We're a company that enjoys spending time together and we enjoy our time out in the market. We enjoy our time with customers. We enjoy solving problems and having fun along the way. And that tends to shine through for any company. We're seeing the benefit of that in our hiring and recruiting, where it's fantastic to get an inbound from somebody that you regard as a rock star in the industry. And they say, yeah, I may be making a move. What might be open at Vetro for me? And then are happy to have that conversation every day of the week. That feels good, doesn't it? (laughs) So have you seen the workforce change, would you say, over the last 12 months? I mean, are you still having, are you having challenges finding talent or what specific challenges are you having or any strategies, let's say that are working for you, Brian and the team besides being just the coolest company on earth well, right now? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I told you. I, told no, you I love it. I can gush. And... No, it's fun. You're right in the middle of what, I mean, it's a lot of, that's a great company. And I love the fact that you have purpose and I hear a lot of that in your voice, right? That purpose and in, in your heart is in it and, and everyone at Vetro feels that way. So I, I just think it's um, awesome. Thank you. Um, for, I, yeah. I think that's I think it's it's true. And again, something else you you can't fake. I mean, you can't fake purpose. And and always third time, I think I'm gonna brag on my boss, but again, being selective about what we take on so that we can maintain that sense of purpose. Like, I mean, we'll sort of pivot away from something that could be lucrative immediate term because we know it's not going to be a fit for us long-term. You know, it's going to take our eye off, off the balls that matter the most. And so that helps a lot with maintaining that, maintain that sense of purpose company-wide. Talent-wise, workforce-wise, yeah, we're, I mean, just like everybody, we're seeing a this sort of extreme tightening of the labor market and talent pool 
And unfortunately, just well, it's just natural. I mean, it's hiring is a zero sum game, right? So as an environment where this unprecedented level of capital being invested, and it is unprecedented. I mean, the rough back of the envelope math pre, in, in the past, private sector would spend 10 to 14 billion a year, roughly on broadband, consumer broadband networks. And I think that's continuing. So they're continuing to invest. But then all of a sudden you have 42 billion just in one program alone flying into the market. So it's with that amount of capital, it, it creates this rush on talent, of course. And with it being zero sum, it's just inevitable that we're seeing this, this tightening. I think there's a lot of good stuff happening that's going to help solve the shortage in a number of years. But unfortunately, I think we're going to be three to five year span where kind of like talking earlier, kind of frenetic pace. It's fast paced to say the least. We're just going to be kind of living that normal until we can add more to, to the labor force. Well, hopefully there'll be more young people like you, like when you were young and you heard yeah. about, heard about the industry and you got excited and passionate about it. And that's, I think, what we're all trying to do in the industry is get more young people involved, right? Yeah. Interesting anecdote. I locally do things, volunteer with economic development agencies and our chamber of commerce and things. We have an annual job fair for middle school age kids. And I mentioned our co-op built out fiber to all of our homes in the county. But anyway, there was a booth set up to demonstrate fiber splicing, not just to demonstrate fiber splicing, but it was hands-on. And so like I made a point of it walking by that booth like as often as I could, because it was a very popular booth and kids. Oh, I love it. Isn't that neat? So middle school age kids. And of course I would, I couldn't resist every time I walked, I'd kind of drop in and say, you learn that and you have a job for life. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so it was neat. It's things like that at scale that are going to have impact. Kelly Don is a friend of mine who runs Cruise, And one of the things that they focus on, I guess it's the thrust of their focus is bringing in our military veterans and training, uptraining them, upskilling them to then deploy them to construction projects. And again, it's an all the above kind of need that we have here, but Kelly is doing great work placing folks and, and solving multiple issues okay. in one fell swoop. Yes. Well, let's want to hear about your vision. What's the Vetro vision moving forward? We just want to be at the center of basically all of the fiber construction that's happening. I mean, we half joke internally that we want a, the Kleenex version of <laughs> fiber management systems, and we'd love to become a verb when networks are being built. There's a vetro verb on some level, any given project. And we've proven to ourselves, if not the market, even that our scalability runs the gamut from the smallest of projects, from a WISP, who's it's two-person operation, they're getting into, into fiber, literally all the way up to tier one. And then on the state level, the, our largest states were the software system of record, I should say, to be explicit for the largest construction project in the world that's happening right now. And so our vision is more of that and just to become synonymous wherever there's a fiber project being built, that, that there's some piece of it that has a Vetro stamp on it. Well, I believe you're going to make that happen. <laughs> I appreciate it. We, we've got the team, I think, give us confidence and we'll continue to need good people. So and it's always looking for folks who are ready to make a change and jump on the Vetro rocket and, and have a little fun along the way. Well, where can we learn more about Vetro and what's your website, the jobs that are available right now? Yeah, we, we do a lot of hiring through LinkedIn connections, current networks that we have and leveraging those, but also on website, which is Vetro Fiber Map. 
jobopeningsinc.com. Lots of information on there about job openings and product, like lots of great tutorials. Even if, I mean, if you're not interested in Vetro itself, but you're interested in fiber, we've got a great platform literacy team that posts great YouTube videos that just explain our product, but in doing so explain to the layperson even what it takes to build a network and operate a network. That's very valuable. Education. It's all about education. I love it. So Brian, thank you for coming on the show. This is, I've really enjoyed learning more about Vetro and your philosophy. And again, the heart of Vetro. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. It's been a pleasure. You take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.